Sans Pants Radio, Australia's happiest podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George DeMarillis. This is a show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. Today on the podcast, we have comedian and writer, most recently for Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell, Pat McCaffrey. How you doing, Pat? I'm well. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Do people not normally ask? It's true. Everyone does ask. You never know yeah. the full way. To, you've got to say something afterwards, don't you? That's true. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, how are you? Oh, pretty good. Yeah. And then it's just you polite just to say thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's Thanks true. Thanks for asking. yeah, yeah. Maybe I put too much passion into the thanks for asking where people are like, oh, no, this guy, it sounds <laughs> Just, like you genuinely... Do people ever ask you, George? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm committing too hard to the platitude. Just a little. <laughs> okay. Note to self. Next time, I'll be like, yeah, thanks, whatever. <laughs> Just be careful you don't overcorrect. Okay. You know, like, yeah. Don't go too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm good. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Needlessly. <laughs> Just look, at least That's, that sets a tone, at least. Yeah, you know, for true. the rest of the conversation, I'm like, wow, do not ask George personal questions. <laughs> that's, and that's the definition of a personal question. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. Fuck you. It's like, whoa, okay, this guy's. I'm glad the show's yeah. not about. I feel like the show should be about you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what you're going through. So, Pat, yes, thanks for coming on the show. I probably didn't mention it in the opening, but uh, I'll say famously for you, a political political comedian as well. I'll put that in there at the start. Yeah. Um, very funny. I've loved your stuff through the years. Sadly, not much politics gone on at the moment. So no, there never is. Yeah, that's no, the problem. That's, yeah, that's yeah. gonna be tough. Is it like actually to go on that tangent for a second? Is it like you kind of don't want too much going on as well because you can't focus on the one thing? Right? Yeah. And also, if there's if everyone's aware of it, then it limits the scope for funny original jokes in it, kind of, doesn't it? Yeah, I often think that with somebody like Donald Trump. Like, there's no real scope for me to make him funny in that whatever joke I can write will be done better and more often by, like, the 13 late-night comedians in the US who, who like, feed on him every day. So, like, there's just kind of no point in doing some of that stuff. And with Trump as well, when you talk about being focused, with Trump, you know, he moves so quickly from one scandal to the next that it's tiring keeping up with what he's done lately. So, yeah, that there is something to that. You kind of... You know, this year, this year has felt so dominated by COVID and coronavirus and lockdowns and quarantines and all that kind of stuff that I suppose there's scope to kind of talk about things that we might have missed, maybe, you know, like important things we should have paid attention to, but weren't. That, that could be kind of the basis of a show, I guess. It'd be kind of a depressing show, probably. It would. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the sad <laughs> stuff that we missed because we were focusing on something else sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you thought it was bad already. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> did you? Were you always like? Did you switch? Were you always politically like inclined? I um, guess. I think so. I remember having a friend over for dinner at my house when I was eleven. He still tells this story today. He could not get over the discussion around our dinner table was whether or not Kim Beasley should lead the ALP to the two thousand and one federal election. You know, like, and. <laughs> And for my friend Ben, he was like, that's insane. Like no one, no family has that upbringing, you know, but that was, I what? guess, just, yeah, I guess that was just what my family did. Okay. So um, how many brothers do you, do you have any brothers and sisters? I had younger brother and older sister. Okay. Yeah. And they were I all... still have them. I didn't, I, I didn't, <laughs> they're, they're fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, were they also leaning, like, yeah, at least, at least so. engaged rather than maybe. Yeah. I think it comes from mum and dad. I think they were engaged. So yeah. we kind of all were. Okay. Um, it's like almost. Genetic. I guess, yeah. In a yeah. weird way. You know, if it's nature versus nurture, I think it's more nurture. You know, like in that you kind of, for a long time, you just kind of go along with what your parents 
want you to do. So, you know, like it took a long time before you, before I started asking myself, like, Oh, do I, do I enjoy, you know, doing music or am I just doing music? Cause you know, I played recorder in year two and now I'm here, you know, like. Did you actually with, do music and play recorder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I did enjoy it. Right? Like <laughs> you, you question a lot of those things and then you, you come to a view like yay or nay. Um, but you know, for a long time, you just kind of go along with what your parents are telling you, you know, whether it's sport or, you know, extracurricular stuff or, you know, like for instance, I would have dropped out of maths as soon as I could. And I actually did drop out of maths as soon as I could. But you know, for a long time, um, not for a long time, for, for a year at least, I had a maths tutor trying to help me. You know, and I, yeah, I guess we all just kind of do those things that our parents, yeah, want us to do, I guess. And I guess, yeah, politics was that. That was what mum and dad were talking about. What recorder? Were you playing a recorder or were you playing some other kind of music? I'm I played just recorder interested. in year two and then, I, and then I transitioned onto the, the clarinet. You okay. Know, was, yeah, <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, you're playing recorder when you're a bit older. So. Yeah, yeah. Some people do. You see those guys, you know, those people in, in like orchestras who are playing the big recorder and it's like, hmm. Still just a recorder. Okay, now it sounded like that's some clarinet. <laughs> it's, a, it's a class distinction, yeah. yeah. It's a class distinction. <laughs> when This is true. When I walk down some the street. Woodwind um, beef. Yeah, yeah. When I walk down the street and I see a recorder player, like the aristocracy, the recorder player has to throw themselves in the gutter and, uh, yeah, just like cover up any, you know, stagnant water that might be there that might otherwise, you know, touch my shoe. Oh, um, I can see where you're leaning politically. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually the opposite, but yeah. Did you, uh, so obviously you're probably, I guess, technically left leaning in terms of everything. Uh, I think there's, I think there's something about the arts generally that kind of, I don't know, like most people in the arts seem to be that, that way inclined. You know, there are exceptions. I think Barry Humphreys, for instance, is an exception. Um, Rowan Atkinson, I think, has a foot in both camps. He's very much pro free speech and owns, you know, fancy cars and organizes his money in various ways that you might think of as, you know, um, slightly less than, uh, ideal. But yeah, I think, I think most people, certainly in comedy, at least in my experience, tend to be a little bit more inclined to left-wing politics. Maybe because it's just an anti-authority streak. I don't know. Um, anti-establishment. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, as in, I would, like, my first initial thing, which I actually realize is incorrect because of how politics has changed, but, uh, you think most people who are just working class or, like, not rich are probably going to lean more towards leftist policies, at least from mm. an economic perspective. Mm. Um, and then if you're in the arts, you're probably more engaged with wider communities. So you're probably seeing more of the social perspective of left leaning. Yeah. So I guess that probably, I was going to guess that might be the reason. So yeah. it's just like a averages thing. And it could also just be nature. Like maybe there's something about like how, because you know, like there might just be something about how brains work that drives people to comedy that also drives them to believe in certain things that you associate with left-wing politics, you know, like, um, I don't know, fairness or, you know, um, sharing or, I don't know, like... All that nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That hippie bullshit. No, no, it is something noticeable, yeah. Although, uh, here's, a, here's a bold thing that I think, in general, that most people are probably more left if they just look into it a bit more. Mm. Well, like, I, as in, that's the thing. Like, I think most yeah. people actually are kind of... Especially if you remove the... So if you Economic-wise, I feel like... Almost everyone is left, technically, kind of deep down, because it makes sense. <laughs> I think there's a strange thing where you ask people a set of questions and they might answer in a certain way, you know. So you say, like, do you think that we should tax rich people more? And they'll say, like, oh, yes. You know, uh, do you think that we should spend more on schools and hospitals? Yes. But then when it comes to the voting booth, they don't vote in a way that reflects that because sometimes people's view of politics is distinct from their view of the issues, so to speak. Which, yeah, might go to your point. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of what I mean, yeah. yeah. It's like, I feel like there's, a, there's some branding and obviously broad news stories and stuff that can shape people's opinions 
contrary to what they actually kind of want. Yeah, so when you say anything, I think actually probably most people are left-leaning in a way, at least for a lot of major issues, if they actually just ignored the news side of it, like who's the figure, the, the identity part of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's, um, no, that's, it's so interesting that growing up like 11 years old and having that kind of political talk. Yeah. So yeah, now you were, so you were highly engaged from the start. Yeah. What else did you, so you're saying your parents wanted you to do music or like they, they yeah. pushed you that way a little bit. Was there anything yeah. else that were kind of? Yeah, like music was one. Uh, sport was another. Like I played a lot of sport growing up. Um, now I've just started, I've started getting back into swimming. Um, and the first time you get back in a pool is tough. I swallowed a lot of pool water. Yeah. Music and, and sport were the big two, I think that you just kind of did on autopilot, you know, like you just, cause everyone played kanga cricket and everyone did Oz kick, you know, and then you, like, you're from Adelaide as well. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so rugby wasn't so much a thing. Yeah, you know, and so like I, I played softball, which, you know, ended up with me playing baseball, which is a crazy game because like baseball, it's so easy to get hurt. Oh my God. Um, baseball? Yeah. There's someone hurling a thing at you, like a, a hard thing very fast at you, like terrifying. It's the same with cricket. Like at least with cricket, you got pads on. When you go out to bat in baseball, like you've got a helmet with no grill on it. So the thing, the ball can hit you in the face and that's it. And you've got a, a tiny little bat to defend yourself with. It's ludicrous. I never thought about that before. <laughs> that's the dangerous sport of baseball. But yeah, I think music and sport were the big two that mum and dad got me yeah. into. And I'm glad they did because they were both, they were both great. But uh, does that make sense? Did, did you have that? As no, a no, kid? Like, yeah, like, uh, yeah. uh, uh, uh Maybe not as much with Greek immigrant parents, so they're like a bit more just go study and get a job. Yeah, right. <laughs> that sort yeah. of thing. So extracurricular and all that stuff. Yeah. They kind of push you to do everything, but they're not like like your parents probably did they play sport themselves or did they play yeah. music themselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. that kind of stuff is not really the case. So I think that impacts it too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because it would be hard as a parent to like push your child to do something that you yourself either didn't have an interest in or had never done. Like Although my, my dad can't swim, I think. Irish, yeah, Irish immigrant, I guess, as well. Like, oh, he's Irish immigrant? Yeah, I guess, like, probably, like, I guess swimming isn't a big thing in Ireland. Not in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, he's an Irish immigrant? Yeah. Oh, okay, right. He came out when he was four, to be fair. So, okay, like, right. Yeah. So he hasn't been... But he grew up with Irish parents who were proper, and they would be, like, proper Irish. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> long loaded... memories and long livers. Yeah, they... <laughs> yeah. It's a historically loaded... Have you ever been to Ireland? Yes. Yeah, we went back when I was a teenager. Uh, we went back. Dad went back and I went with him. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, the rest of the family. I guess that's what you meant. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I assume it wasn't the royal we. <laughs> uh, but because I, I went, there, I loved it. I thought it was like, yes. so, and like, there's something about a country where like the troubles that they've been through are recent mm. in the memory of everyone. So like, like they feel like a very politically engaged country in a lot of ways compared to like, I was sitting in the bar, like in a pub and people are talking, I'm like, wow, this is not a conversation you would hear in an Aussie pub yeah. ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and it's a gorgeous country. It's, oh, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It is actually just like green and lovely. Rolling Hills. Yeah. No, I love yeah. it. Got a soft spot. Yeah. I drank from a stream there. One of those things that you see like in some kind of, you know, BBC adaptation of an Enid Blyton novel, you know, like where someone literally is just drinking water from a stream. It's like, oh, you can do that here. Okay, great. I was like a teenager and I was like, this is insane. Like you can't, you can't just, you know, like run down to the Yarra and <laughs> fish through, you know, dead seal carcasses and drink the water. Um, That's true. But, the, but you were in Ad you grew up in Adelaide, didn't you? Mm -hmm. So like, wasn't there, I don't know, I'm picturing, I feel like Adelaide's got slightly closer stream access potentially well it's got the torrens but the torrens is still pretty manky yeah no, yeah you okay. wouldn't you wouldn't drink from the torrents um okay so did you continue music or did you kind of switch to doing writing or was it like what was the part was it a winding path or was it so i'm one of those i'm kind of a cliche in that i finished school and went to uh university and studied law and arts and did that cliched thing of 
leaving a career in the law and ending up in comedy. It's amazing. I think that is an interesting one, how very, very common that is. Yeah, the only thing I can think is that there's kind of a, there's kind of a logic in the way law teaches you to think that you can kind of, um, you can kind of spot, you know, something that's illogical or inconsistent or a double standard. And I think sometimes that kind of way of analyzing things can lead you to be funny. Um, ah, maybe. that is a concept I'd never yeah. heard but then, I like that. Well, but then there are plenty of comedians who aren't lawyers who have that ability. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, We're not talking that every single one is yes, one and everybody exactly. does it. Yeah. That's why yeah. I'm the only one of the few good comedians. <laughs> If you studied law, then you do not understand, understand, my friend. <laughs> yeah, and the other, I suppose the other thing law teaches you is writing. You have to do a lot of writing in a law degree. You know, you're kind of constantly writing essays or exam papers and that kind of stuff. So you are in the habit of writing, I guess, uh, and reading, writing and reading. Yeah, so then I ended up kind of halfway through law school realizing I didn't want to end up being a lawyer and then, yeah, ended up starting stand-up in Adelaide that way. Oh, Okay. That's so, yeah. So it is funny how often that kind of mm. thing happens. A lot of people realize, like, okay, okay, I've got inclinations this way, but I'm not, I don't, yeah. I don't have the, I can't drain my soul this badly with this. Well, like. And it's funny. I don't know how you were, but like, I didn't even realize you could do comedy in Adelaide. Like, comedy was something I saw on the television, but like the idea of participating in it or the idea that there would be a comedy club, you know, like it kind of seems like such a big hurdle. Um, it's, it's terrifying the yeah. first time yeah like how was was your first time this time was alright I, th- I think it helps when I started the host when I was the, it was my first gig and the host made a point of saying you know like this is this person's first gig and so I think that kind of primes the audience to be like okay let's be nice to this person blah 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 uh, so I think that definitely helped yeah, I'm always torn about that because like one side of it is yeah it primes the audience to be supportive sometimes but also it feels like it primes the audience to be judgmental well, and I, I've had some discussions with this before because there is a comic in Adelaide who, you know, I remember talking to him about it and he was like, well, I don't think you should because it kind of gives us a false sense of feedback to the performer that, the, you know, that people are laughing, maybe they're laughing too much just to be nice and that what you really want as a performer is honest feedback. Um, and I can understand that's that. That's true as well, yeah. But that's, that's probably that, irrelevant but, to your first... Yes, that's yeah, what yeah. I think. That when it's your first time, it might just be worth being... Because like, if this person wants to continue, they will and they'll fail and they'll feel what that's like at some point. Um, <laughs> so many times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, okay. Because yeah, no, I was just more like just... I don't know. Whenever you switch an audience's perspective being like, oh, we're now analyzing this. We're not like... So when you say it's like someone's first time... They're going to be like, oh, okay, so let's see what this guy's like. But maybe that's just my brain and how it works. Maybe. Like, I'm going to assess yeah. this person's skills level now. Yeah. Maybe. You de- uh, yeah. But you if, can- it, if it makes them warm, then definitely it's worth it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Adelaide at that time, that open mic night, which still runs, that had a very good vibe to it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 So important. Yes. As well, yeah. yeah. And you Because you get the buzz as well as the nice... Yes. Yeah. Because we all know there are gigs where you're like... Uh, this is going to be a challenge. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> so many. Yeah. Um, whereas that was that was a gig you looked forward to doing. All oh, right. You know? yeah, yeah. It's like I've got some new ideas. I want them to be supported right now. Well, I don't want them to be brutalized just yet. Yes, Let me yeah. just see if there's anything in them. Like, yeah. Well, and sometimes you sometimes you've got new ideas, and you've got new ideas that you think are good, and you're like, well, if I take them to room X, they might just get brutalized, and then I won't go back to them. Whereas I actually want to try them out in a room where they've got a chance. Yeah, no, so I, I actually think that way. Some people are like, oh, no, you've got to test it or whatever. It's like, no, no, because it's, it's not like a yes, no thing. It's like it's a 
bud you've got to grow. So you take yeah. it somewhere it's super warm and that way, first, if it doesn't hit there, then it's dead. Yes. And also, yeah. you'll still get ideas and flow from that. So I think it's actually, yeah, the yeah. safe room is a good place to practice stuff mm. kind of and then take it to the yes. brutal places because yes. you've got to do it eventually. Yeah. 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 Okay. Firstly, were you always politically inclined from the very start with this, all this stuff or was it kind of like that developed over time? Um, that developed over time. Okay. Um, so for the first year of stand-up, I was just kind of floating around doing general stand-up that wasn't really much good. And then I can't actually remember what it was. I, I just started doing political comedy. I can't remember what the first what the first thing was that got me there, but it was that horrible feeling when you realize that, you know, I, I was reminded of one of my teachers at high school who was always going on about write what you know, um, which I used to hate as advice, but suddenly realized that Miss Van Bavel was right. Um <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Van Bagel. Yeah, yeah. Shout out. Yeah, and so what I knew was politics. And so, like, obviously I was going to be funnier writing about that than you know, trying to write about anything else. And I can't uh, – yeah, so it was about a year after I started. It felt so much better for me because um, it was kind of safer territory. Yeah, we knew what you were talking about, right? Yeah. And it, and it was, I guess, your flavor. Yeah. You had your distinct flavor there. Yeah. And I still – you know, I, I still get that feeling when I go to write something now that's not overtly political. It still feels unsafe, you know, which I guess, oh. is, yeah, it, it's because it's like I, I don't normally do this. I don't know how this is meant to feel. Yeah, oh, okay, like, right. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do that great thing. You know, some people are great storytellers and I just can't, I can't do that. You know, like I just, I, I, I can <laughs> feel the audience giving up halfway through and I'm like, no, you got to hang, hang in there with me because there's a payoff, there's trust pay- me. <laughs> yeah. Um, You've got to give, put little hooks in all the way yeah, through. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just, I'm no good at that. I always find that's a good place for like the weaker jokes which you wouldn't carry a thing with, like puns and things like that. Not obviously heavy loading them, but that, that's the one place puns are, I think are okay when you're telling a longer story and you just one of those little hooks yeah. to keep people just engaged a little bit, even if it's just a quick one. Something yeah. like that. Everyone's going to think I'm doing puns constantly. Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's get started on the actual book of choice now for today. You mm-hmm. have chosen... A Picture of Dorian Gray. By Oscar Wilde. Mm. Uh, I'm, I think everyone's probably knows this book, but <laughs> for yeah. a very quick summary, basically, it's a guy who essentially makes a deal. This young guy, he sees a... Fo- who's very beautiful. Someone else paints a painting of him and he sees it and he basically is in love with this painting and how beautiful he is and he basically makes a sort of deal with the devil. It's not mm. said like that where he's like, anything that happens to me, let it happen to the painting instead of me. And then it's just about his slow decline mm. <laughs> as he just parties super hard yes, and uh, turns to full sin in every way and the painting reflects that. Mm. Oscar Wilde's only book. If that's your only book, you're doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is impressive. And I wondered afterwards whether... Perhaps it was his only book. I mean, he was obviously a successful playwright. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it it caused such controversy when it was released and was, of course, censored and banned, I think, initially, that maybe that colored his impression of writing novels. You know, maybe maybe he just didn't want to go through that again. Maybe he just didn't have another novel in him. I don't know. But that did occur to me afterwards that having gone through... Just the headache. Yeah. I wondered whether he just kind of thought, well, why would I bother? Yeah. I mean, that's fair enough. Yeah. Just considering where he ended up, uh, yes. <laughs> he had cause to be concerned, concerned about yes. too much attention. Well, because I didn't realize until I... Because I kind of bought like an annotated version of it. And so I didn't read all the all the annotations. But I think initially the version that appeared when it was serialized in a magazine... I think there was a suggestion of a homosexual relationship between him and the painter, I think, which is initially what caused the scandal. And so when they released it as a proper book rather than kind of a series of chapters in magazines, Oscar Wilde kind of cleaned up, well, not cleaned up, but he changed 
the language around their relationship so that it was you're much more like you know he talks about the artist talks about oscar as improving his work whereas i think initially it had been like improving his life you know that kind of thing Um, so just tried to hide that sort of stuff yeah considering it's like it's Oscar Wilde. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the quintessential original, like, homosexual man. Yes, <laughs> dandy. Like, yes. Yeah, the dandy, yeah. It's funny how, like, the UK produces someone like that every, like, period of someone who's a bit more, like, that way in, and, like, yeah. fancy language and stuff. Like, Stephen Fry, obviously, is a big one yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. And Fry's a big fan of Wilde's as Huge, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive fan, so that's, yeah. I mean, understandable. Like, mm. I guess he's the patron... Saint of like excellent language, witty banter. Yeah. It, uh, it, look, I, when I when I read it, I did actually think like, you know, it was one of those things where you're reading, and it is so funny as a book. Like, it is genuinely, you know, laugh out loud funny, and it's hard to be funny in print. You know, particularly hard to be funny when the thing's over a hundred years old. But it was one of those things where you just a bit like Stephen Fry. I just want to be at their house for dinner. You know, like I don't want to. I don't want to say anything. I just want to like watch like the ghost of you know whichever Christmas past, present, future, just watches like that. I just want to be that at their house for dinner, you know, just watch them interact and be funny and, you know, witty and all those things. I felt that way about Wild. I, I reread it re- relatively recently and I was like, yeah, again, blown away. It's just so good. Like there's one paragraph I actually highlighted because I'm like, I've never seen, he just talks about a party that he attends. And in one paragraph, he goes through about five or six different people and every single one of them, he has like this one phrase to describe yeah. them and he just nails everything about them in yeah. one phrase. It's so funny and perfectly captures them and you're like, yeah. He does five in like one paragraph. He's like, man, yeah. if I did that in a book, I'd be wrapped. Yeah. <laughs> like he does it there's, just well, casually. And there's a great line that stuck with me when they're, they're leaving a dinner party at one point. Um, uh, Dorian and Lord Wotton? Wotton? Kind of the devil that he makes the deal with, I suppose. Or, or the bad influence in the book, I guess. And this person says, I think Wotton's uncle says, uh, as they're leaving, he says, oh, can you, um, talk to your auntie and get her to stop sending me letters begging for money for all those charities i'm not interested in you know and quick as anything Watton turns around and says um oh that won't work don't you know the first thing about philanthropists if they is they lose all sense of charity you know which is just like such good wordplay and so funny and you're just like oh damn i wish i could write like that you know yeah it's it's, it's um, yeah yeah no it's, it's an it's, excellent book it really is so what like at first when did you first read it a while ago now Maybe three or four years ago. Okay, so it's yeah. relatively recent. It wasn't like a yeah, younger thing. Yeah. Or anything like that. And I, I have gone back and reread it since then. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. So, and why have you picked it kind of as your favorite, you reckon? Well, it's, it's tough because it's one of those things like having a favorite book is a, I suppose it's a bit like a favorite film or a favorite song or something in that it can always be displaced, right? Like you can read a new book that is better, I suppose. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is my favorite book for now. Okay. Yeah. No, I always yeah. try to clarify. I'm not yeah. committing you forever to yeah, this. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Although it is in record now, it's going to yeah, be... Yeah. Um, why did I choose it? Um, it? I think it's... I think the quality of writing is not something I've... I've not found a better book in terms of the quality of its writing. Obviously, I've got Limo's autobiography to get through next, so that's probably going to be a challenge, but uh, yeah. Just had to wait a week, we would have got on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, the quality of its writing, it just feels... It feels luscious to sit there and read it it feels almost indulgent yeah it's like it is it's a it's a real treat yes. i feel like and it, yeah again written 100 years ago and it's like yeah. that it's amazing like yeah. actually yeah and I, I think a part of it is the fact that it captures i think the character side of things like he's witty but he also just knows how to nail all mm. the characters and the things they say and the way they interact which is like actually hallmark a lot of that older probably it's good writing everywhere but i know like dickens as well just like the way they would just make these characters you just wouldn't take much for you to know them inside out. Yeah, and I, th- I think when I talked about being funny in print, I think because I, I there are some great comedians who have tried to be funny in print, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But the only reason, or one of the reasons, it can work, you know, like um, when you read, you know, like Stuart Lee and David Mitchell, for instance, write columns. I think for the, the Guardian or the Observer, and you can read those and laugh because you know their voice. You know, like you're reading it in David Mitchell's voice or in Stuart Lee's voice. Um, and I think, as you say, his character work is so amazing because when you read it, you don't know Oscar Wilde's voice, but you pick it up within pages, you know, and you know how those characters sound, you know, um, and there aren't many of them um, in the book. There's maybe 10 characters who you're ever introduced to. But yeah, you know how they sound. You know Watton is this kind of hedonistic dandy. You know that, you know, Basil is this kind of clutching artist who, you know, is just kind of so smitten with Dorian and and um you understand that Grey has this kind of capricious power over kind of everyone he comes into the sphere of him. So the poor uh I think Sybil Vane is her name, that actress who just, you know, falls head over heels in love with Prince Charming and then that ends very badly <laughs> for her. It's not a happy book. No. But <laughs> because you because you know that so quickly. It hooks you and keeps you going. And it also makes every exchange still relatable now, a hundred mm. years later, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Well, because yes, I I I think at the time, I think it was meant to be a critique of Victorian 
London or England or society or whatever. But yeah, you, you still you don't feel like it's lost its relevance, really. No, no, it's a pretty classic sort of story, I guess. And there's there's a lot of elements with it. Like, like I mean, okay, so obviously the fundamental one is that idea of like hiding away your mm. sin or mm. that and being able to just live completely wildly with no one knowing. Wildly, city. that's one of your puns. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So you're yeah. interested. It's yeah. A city. yeah, which obviously for Oscar Wilde, you could almost be like, I wonder if that probably relates to his own views on mm. his homosexuality because he obviously couldn't express it in any sort of way at the time. Mm. Um, was that an element that maybe you felt a little bit like? As in, did you ever feel like you? Did you ever feel outside your own skin, or you were always pretty comfy at a safe um, growing up environment? So that wasn't an issue. Yeah, like my upbringing was pretty safe, normal. Um, well. I don't know about normal. What do you mean by not normal? Though? <laughs> well, I'm not sure how many people were talking about Kim Beasley at the dinner table. Yeah, that's you know, true. Reading broadsheet newspapers on the weekend. Just for fun. Yeah. 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 Dad, have you finished the history? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that side of things, which is not really something you felt like, no, no, no. 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 So it was just mainly, the, I was suspecting when I saw it, I'm like, I reckon, yeah, I, you don't seem like the type who has like a deep, dark, hidden <laughs> secret deep down inside. <gasps> no. And yeah, perhaps Wilde was getting at his own homosexuality in that. In that way, um, I'm not sure. Is, was he ever this kind of hedonistic? Did he wild? Do, yeah, drugs. You know, I feel like he was, but bins. I don't actually know. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't he seem like the kind who's just parties real hard? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> it's such a shame he's not a particularly attractive man, or wasn't. When you see photos, you think mm. maybe he was attractive by the standards of the day. That that could be right. That is it? that is very judgmental. There, all right. Well, Pat, look, like, geez, I, you know. I challenge anyone to look at a photo of Oscar Wilde. And give him more than a five. Like, <laughs> seriously. Um, okay, yeah, no, fair enough. That's yeah, a... yeah. But maybe he was attracted by the standards of the day. Because, you know, like, I don't think Neanderthal man looks attractive, but Neanderthal man was getting some. So... You really... Those are the two that you're going with. They're going to <laughs> All of human issues went straight to the end. Like that's the closest comparison to Wild yeah. is yeah. the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the only other thing I re- I when I looked up Dorian Gray, this is partly because I read um I read Clockwork uh, Clockwork Orange recently, and thought I should go away and watch the film because it's meant to be such an amazing film. It's Stanley Kubrick. It's got this highly stylized violence. I don't think Dorian Gray has ever been made into a decent film. I kind of clicked through a few of the films that uh, that surprised me. Actually, that is true. Like, the, I, I, yeah, no, it hasn't been made into a good movie, but no. uh, you would think someone would have come along because it is, it's not that hard. No. Because no. <laughs> like, it's, I guess you just be just, you are going to be taking on Oscar Wilde for dialogue. And may, maybe, a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, maybe part of the problem with it is so much of it is just about kind of this socialite existence that maybe it doesn't lend itself well to film. Maybe not enough's happening. I mean, Pride of Prejudice or something, though. That's, that's true. That's true. So with the, with the uh, did you do much partying when you were younger? Any of this hedonism side of things ever kind of appeal to you? No. I, I, it's just twice in my life, both times at the end of the Adelaide Fringe, I have stayed out late enough that I was coming home when the sun came up and it filled me with such a sense of sadness. They were, they were years apart, uh, one year apart. And after I did it the first time, getting the cab home and like the sun's coming up, and I just had this feeling that I'd like, I'd kind of wasted that day because I was just going to spend the whole day in bed and I felt like I'd wasted it somehow. And I said to myself, I will never do this again. Like this is a bad idea. And then a year later, same like end of Adelaide Fringe party, closing night, um, did the same thing and was in the taxi on the way home and sent a message to a fellow Adelaide comic and writer, Matt, um, just saying just want you to know it's 6 30 in the morning and i'm getting a taxi home and i said i'd never do this again and i feel terrible <laughs> you've only stayed out 
to see the sun come up. Yeah, twice in my life. Twice in your life. That is, okay, that is, I'm just like, I'm full of envy. Yeah. Well, because it's just, it gets too tiring, you know. hundred percent. Bars are too noisy. They should turn the music down in a lot of places, I think. I don't know why they turn the music up so loud, because you then just end up shouting the whole night. It's like that doesn't give a good atmosphere. There's no atmosphere, because there's just... Nicki Minaj playing or something. Um, I'm told. I'm told she's popular. <laughs> what is WAP? I've heard about. Uh, well, look. Actually, I've got a theory about that, which is like WAP. <laughs> no theory about that. Never seen it, so I wouldn't yeah. know. But uh, it makes two of us. <laughs> mine was more tongue in cheek about my <laughs> lack of sexual prowess rather than my sexuality. But we've taken it two different ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the okay. My theory is because most bars are still, I would say a place of people flirting and dating and that sort of thing to a degree. I don't know how true that is, but I feel like that's probably Mm. the case with a lot of places people go out. There's a lot of, that's why younger people generally go out because they're Mm. kind of, while everyone likes having fun. Not everyone. Not everyone likes having fun. We're picking up that vibe very quickly from you, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) How much, this music still had, I can't hear any of the witty repartee. (laughs) Oscar would hate this place. Oscar would hate bars with their loud music. and. But I got got to feel like uh, once everyone's had a few drinks, and if you want to chat to anyone uh, in any way which makes yourself look like a viable partner, you don't want anyone hearing what you're saying. <laughs> That's, look, maybe, yeah, yeah. That certainly would make more sense. And also you've got the woo element, of course. When you're drunk, music turns up, everyone's like, woo! So that's, oh, do they? Is that a thing that happens? I'm talking about like inside. Oh, right, okay. I thought you some kind of you know, exclamation like, of joy would be uncouth. Um, yeah, it would be pretty rare to see that. Although you do please do, <laughs> yeah! <laughs> you do get those occasionally, but uh, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Not as much, but yeah, the joy of this loud music. We're yeah. really making, we are unpacking and making going to a bar late sound as boring as possible like mm. this is yes this is the most dull conversation of late night partying <laughs> i think i've ever in my life but so you get back no not really that kind of so do you know the hedonistic sort of no, thing though drug no, taking not really no it's a bit too it's, it's weird though it's a bit too um you know it reminds me of that kind of 1950s protestantism you know where it's like won't someone think of the children i don't i don't have that at all except weirdly with gambling when I hear people are gambling, everyone's doing it now on their phone. You know, people are placing bets on stuff that they like. I've got friends who place bets on like matches of sports that I've never heard of happening in Uruguay or whatever. And it's just like, that's one of the, I, bizarrely, I'm just like, stop it. That's a gateway drug to something. You know, you're going to end up with your head in a vice outside a casino somewhere really? in Macau. Yeah. I, oh, oh, okay. That terrifies me. So, okay. Um, yeah. So that's interesting because like you've, you've mentioned your, uh, like, so from, Okay, from a political point of view, right? I actually kind of agree with you, but only in terms of what gambling is symbolic of, which is it's clearly too unregulated and it's clearly a dangerous, addictive, mm. uh, like it's an addiction mm. that people just aren't treating with the seriousness of other addictions at all. So like mm. it's just free reign. So when you're seeing all these people gambling, it's, it's like if you're in the 50s seeing everyone smoking where you might be like, yeah. this is bad because yeah, no one knows, like, everyone's acting like this is an addictive and stuff. So, like, yeah. so now you see someone smoking, you're like, well, you do you. You yeah. made your decision. But if yeah. you're seeing, like, back then, you'd be like, man, you guys don't understand. This is a highly addictive yeah. thing. And everyone is doing it. So, and obviously, poker machines are, are the worst because they are just, like, that's just cheating. But I didn't realize, like, <laughs> it's cheating. Yeah. Cause, like, they're rigged so that they don't. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But I didn't realize, like, betting apps now will kick you off if you are too good at them. Like, if you're just making money, they just ban you from the service. Which, again, 
that's not fair. They're that's not, hilarious. Like, yeah. And it's the same with, um, I didn't realize as well. I thought counting cards was cheating, but that is apparently just being good at poker. Like that's just a way or whatever card game you do it in. Is it poker? No, no. Okay. Blackjack. Okay. Right. And, um, uh, it's kind of like, it is, yeah, it's not cheating. No. Like, as in, it's not, it's not doing anything apart from remembering maths. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I didn't realize, but yeah. So they will just kick you out again because you're going to win. Depending. I, I think if it, you can't count cards on your own, really. Like not oh, really. So like you need someone. You need, someone you need to do our teams. Yeah. Or like yeah. general. Like you can do it, but it's like I don't think you're gonna be twisting your odds so much. that Everyone's gonna kick you out. Maybe yeah, back right. in the day, but now, uh, especially now, because you like six decks and stuff. So mm. the 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 ones that got in a lot of trouble, they had like a whole team. Because that's what right. you would do. You'd have like someone there counting, and then bring someone else will come in and do it. Although I don't think you can even count cards anymore in a lot of casinos. The way they've set up the decks and stuff, you just that to me that kind of fits with that definition of hedonism to me. There's something quite hedonistic about sitting in a casino just losing lots of money you know how like you sit like like there's something something valid, about yeah. yeah they just, sit there it's, it's just so wasteful yeah like, they sit there just losing a lot of money drinking drugs, exp- yeah like and they'll be drinking expensive scotch or something and you know like they're just happy to like lose like a grand or something that is kind of that's how you look at that that's the one so so really you're just like choosing the things that you dislike as the example of hedonism yeah, yeah. I did not Basically. realize I was dealing with yeah. such a fundamentalist. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they just like everything else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, that's mm. uh, really reframed your entire political <laughs> leanings now, it turns out. I disagree with this one thing, so I'm against yeah, it completely. Exactly, exactly. And that, that comes back to, I guess, from the regulation point, because I'm, I'm much more relaxed. I'm like, you do whatever you want, but my, my concern would be more, because gambling, I actually agree. I look at it, I'm like, this is dangerous. But it's, but it, but it is an offshoot of, I think people struggle with it because of its lack of clear addictiveness. Mm. Unlike with something which you're having a chemical and that's what's making you addicted with something mm. like this. It's like, it's not actually, it's just your brain doing it, right? But it's like, yeah. that trickles down to like Facebook and Instagram and social media in general is exactly the same. Mm. It's actually the same system of uh, yeah. gambling where it's like, in intermittent rewards and colorful colors and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, I got off Facebook. I remember there was a horrifying quote from one of their um one of their former VPs for audience engagement or some some something like that. And she said the way Facebook works is it shows you photographs of your friends having fun without you. And that creates a feedback loop in your head that you check Facebook again to make sure they're not doing it. Like, isn't that insane? And, and Facebook's algorithm will show you friends having fun without you and they'll prioritize the ones near you. Like, insane. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, and they don't do it so you can go join them. They do it no, so you just keep checking. It's, it's FOMO. Yeah. To make you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, that's kind of messed up. Yeah. I gotta be honest. That's a. Well, and there's a form, there's another former Facebook exec who doesn't let their kids use it. Yeah. I think I can understand that. Yeah. To, to a degree. Especially like kids, man. It'd be messed yeah. up. Although yeah. like none of them would care. Who's using Facebook anyway? Yeah. That's true. yeah. <laughs> It'd be all of something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I, when I got off it, I thought I was making like a huge stand against social media because I did get off it you know, a few years ago now. But it is just one of those things I got off and people were like, yeah, well, no one really uses it though, Pat. And I was just like, no, this is, this is a big important political stand I make. It felt like <laughs> opposing racism. You know, everyone was like, yeah, duh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But instead it's just, it was nothing. Nah. Yeah. yeah. Are you didn't still on Instagram? Didn't get any cred. I think I have an Instagram account okay. that was created for me in order to promote my comedy. Yeah. Um, but I don't know the username and password. So you're just staying in every night, yep. not going out, yes. yep. on no social media. Yep. 
Just well, that's why we have books to read. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, yeah, yeah. That's that's a valid. valid I thought, I thought you'd, you'd like people like me who you know, yeah, don't of course, waste their lives on social media or you know, going out and having friends. We just <laughs> just sit, <and laughs> sit by ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You can just invent your own friends. Exactly. It's real friends. You got Oscar Wilde to give you exactly. That kind of, exactly. Well, yeah, you can't yeah. you can't compete with that in yeah. the real world. Yeah, yeah. Until I can find people who are as funny as Oscar Wilde, I'm not. I don't want friends. So ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> so the other part I think about the the. Which I I kind of want to, I took a few notes because I was like Oscar Wilde it's interesting uh, the mm. the Dorian Gray there's a few different places to go I guess the slippery slopeness of the whole thing like I mean that's that's a part of the story which seems to be like to happen because the guy gets just worse and worse mm. and I love it I, I actually looked it up and I got reminded of it and I'm gonna totally spoil the book because it's a hundred years old yeah and it's kind of you know where it's going yeah. technically kind of all the way but the fact that at the end he like tries to clean up his act. Mm. And he thinks that's going to clean up the picture. Yes. And then he goes and looks at the picture and it's gotten worse. Yes. Because yeah. it's like, you're just doing this for shit reasons, you yeah. dog. Yeah. And it kind of, it really does go to like that idea of, I suppose that idea of the motivation driving the, the moral character of the action. You know, like if his motivation to be good is to fix his portrait or to kind of, there's almost, there's an element of kind of the deathbed conversion about it you know like it's not quite that but it is kind of mm. in the same kind of uh realm um yeah and so obviously that can, that can only do more damage so that's an interesting do you, do you think that though i think there's something to be said about I, I, it's not entirely true but there is something to be said for that kind of i think it's a kantian view of the moral character of actions that doesn't judge them just by their fruits you know i think yeah. it's funny a, a book I mentioned just before, um, A Clockwork Orange, actually deals with that question because, you know, really uh, the character in that book has been brainwashed into being good. And, the, you know, the question you're left with is, well, are you really a good person if you're not actually, like, he, he is just brainwashed to have a, a kind of a violently allergic reaction to violence. So mm -hmm. he's no longer violent, but then is he a good person because of that? Or, you know, he's just like an automaton, really. So I think there's some, there is something to be said for the motivation of actions or the 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 character behind them i think yeah okay i mean i like, think you can try your best to do the right thing and it not work yeah um, but you know we shouldn't say that that person did the wrong thing they were trying they just messed up or to take this on the much bigger bigger topic from the start was saying political point of view i feel like uh, that's uh, and that is a different thing to a human act uh where motivation can sometimes be used as an excuse for actions as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that probably does apply more to the actions of governments and stuff like that. We're like, we're trying to do the right thing and it's just horrifically horrible. So maybe I am doing the wrong transposition there. But in my head, I'm like, I put motiv motivation very far down in from a personal thing. It's what you're doing. That's, <laughs> that's the thing kind of, unless it's by accident. You know what I mean? Like as in, but yeah, in the end, you need to judge it by whether someone's being hurt or helped by it in a way. I think that's still more important than motivation because, you know, obviously if someone tries to do the wrong thing but good comes of it, um, then that is ultimately a good thing. But then if they're still trying to do the wrong thing, I don't, I don't know if that makes them a good person. Um, and again, that's a good point actually. Does yeah. it make, like, it's the difference between character and your actions, mm. I guess. So like, yeah, you can do nice things all the time. Does that make you? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's a. And you know, like, what if, what if, you know, like the head of Nike or whatever, having made their millions from 
child labor and sweatshops decides to give it away you know like does that does that ultimately square the ledger or <laughs> you know is there any good to be done from giving away money that you've earned through your moral means Whew, we've gone into deep okay yeah, yeah well no, yeah. and front of this actually probably does relate to uh just in general the so the idea of like the i guess because that is a big part of the holiday of sins not washing out mm, mm. um regardless of I guess the stain's too much for you to be able to do that. My head always goes to like, what does this mean for people and stuff like that? So mm. like, I mean, just before this, we were mentioning, we weren't going into too much detail, but uh, the Eichmann in yes, Jerusalem Eichmann book, which is your other book that you yes. were thinking about doing, yeah. which is uh, a person who was in the Auschwitz. Uh, he was he was in the Nazi regime. Nazi regime. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Was in, but he's the he was getting tried essentially, and yes. the book is about how oh, he wasn't actually a technically crazy psychopathically bad man he was mm. just a boring regular dude who then yes. did all these bad things but I, I guess that regime in general you could be an example where like could you do anything after that yeah. to make up for it yeah or i guess if we want to go something less politically <laughs> <laughs> yeah. fraught with comments maybe something more recent <laughs> okay let's, let's skip uh, that one and go maybe how about like but even yeah like you said the president of nike or any of these guys, especially because like the thing is, okay, the head of Nike, right? Mm -hmm. Makes it all from sweatshops and child labor, as you're saying, right? He probably doesn't think like that. He thinks he's providing jobs to these third world economies that then they get helped to mm. buy their bootstraps. And then at the end of his life, he decides to give away his money. He's never done anything wrong. At least according to him, yeah. I, I Look, I don't know what the answer to the Nike guy is. Like I, I would love him to give away all his money. Yeah, I, can, I can give him my bank details if he wants. <laughs> um, yeah, and I suppose with... Dorian Gray, I'm, I might be getting this wrong, but, you know, towards the end, is he actually, because ultimately he's, he's, again, we're spoiling this, but ultimately his decision is to kind of destroy the painting. But is that done out of any sense that that will put things right? Or is that just... No, I think it's just pure, uh, from memory, shame and rage and anger at this symbol not showing his real self, even though he doesn't want it yeah. to be shown. Almost like as in being the mirror of... Basically, yeah. he tries to do the right thing, and then this is like, no, you're not doing the right thing. Yeah. And he's like, that's when it snap, makes him snap, and it's like, which is then a weird concept of like the self, because it's like if you're trying to, if you deep down, like I guess it's one of those things like, what's deep down? Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. What do you want deep down? Does anyone have one thing they want deep <laughs> down, or do we all have like multitudes within yeah. us deep down where it's like hard to pick which one we are ultimately? Mm. Like obviously, from a literary standpoint, it's much easier to have this is deep down what you want. Yeah. And yeah. this is you, you denying that or whatever. But mm. I feel like in reality, that's very rarely mm. so simple, mm. I feel like. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, Sapiens, Yuval Noah Hariri? Yeah. Because uh, he talks about like that, how brains are, well, maybe it's in Homo Deus, one of them. He talks about how brains like multifaceted, like we've got lots of different things in us that's coming together. But uh, I was just, because I was reading that and I was like thinking about uh, sexuality again from that point of view, because I think that's probably the one of the ones which is hard. Like that is a more baseline thing than probably most other types of thinking. Yeah, but most of the things I feel like they're up in the air. Cool. All right. So uh, we've kind of jumped out. So it sounds like the only reason you really like this book that you're willing to admit yeah. is that it's good writing. Good it's burns. excellent writing. Good yes. burns. Yes. Yeah, he knows yeah. how to throw some shade. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, so actually, do you do, much, do you do much shade throwing? I kind of remember. Actually, yeah, probably politically you do. A little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apart from that, no, nothing else. No deep-seated... Uh, yeah, I, I think there's something about kind of the moral character. I think there's a I think there's partly a morality tale to it about that deal with the devil that he strikes at the beginning and refusing to take on any he kind of places that hedonistic pleasure above all else. Um but it's just such like I said it feels luxurious to read. Um it's yeah. just a treat. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's look. Are you allowed to enjoy stuff just for that one reason? <laughs> well, I, ironically <laughs> enough, that there's something almost hedonistic about reading it, I suppose. But yeah, that's a good point. Oh, well, nice tying together there yes, at the no, end, Pat. Yeah. Very well done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, we'll call it off there then. Uh, yeah. So I guess thanks for being on the show and having a little chat about all that stuff. Not at all. Thanks for having me. All right. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sanspants Radio, then why not subscribe to sanspantsplus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's sanspantsplus.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.